0: everybody and welcome to One More go, which is a new podcast, brand spanking new, about
1: old things, which Yay. I feel is an irony. Why do you feel it's an irony? Because it's new, but it's about
0: the old. There's a dichotomy there that um, scholars will no doubt discuss for generations after we're gone. In 20 years time, when somebody's doing a podcast about retro podcasts, going through the uh, archives of iTunes and figuring out what people considered old back then. Are we going on iTunes, I. Eh? I don't see why not. Am I going to be famous? <laughs> that is the route to being famous. That you is get the route yourself to being famous. on
1: iTunes. We start this and then maybe two years from now we'll be games journalists.
0: Absolutely, yeah. That, that's the only path I can see for us now.
1: And everyone knows games journalists is the highest tier in society. So yeah. once you're there, there's nowhere else to go. Like
0: mad money, mad
1: cash. Bling.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Julian Rignall fighting off all the hoes. <laughs> 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 yeah. Okay, so the the um <laughs> the ambitious young man opposite me is uh, Barry Topping, who uh, you may know as techno DJ extraordinaire Epoch.
1: Yes, that's how some people know me. Other right. people just know me as Barry T. Exactly. Like he you, is... for example.
0: Yeah, that's how I know you. That's how I address you. I have not yet come up to you, in the right, right? Epoch, how's it going?
1: Totally. Me and Nickel have known each other for years. For anyone that doesn't know,
0: and and I am Nickel. My name is Nicol. Hey, oh, there we go. Yeah. just just yes. you. Yeah. Hi, uh, hi, pal. Um. You might know me from writing some things on the internet about um, sports and other culture. I haven't written anything about football. video games. Fit- oh, football. And, uh, yeah, but this is my first foray into giving opinions about video games. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we're going to discuss games that we liked when we were uh, younger because that's when older games happened. That's an inescapable part of uh, chronology. Mm. You kind of, like... We were younger when we started talking. That's that's how time works.
1: Welcome to the most depressing podcast (laughs) in the history of the universe. Yeah, retro video games. You are dying. You are dying slowly.
0: (laughs) You are now older than at any point in your life. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about games that we liked when we were younger, we're going to talk about what they were like to play then, what the sort of impact they had on us and the wider society, and also uh, how we feel going back to them, because uh, this week I've been replaying Super Mario Land 2, the six golden coins, I wanted to say there's a quest, but it's not a quest, there's mm. just six of them and they're there, Mario's got to pick them up, and Barry? I've been playing uh,
1: Vandal Hearts on the ps one? On the PS1. I'm gonna go with PS1 He's rather than PSX. Yeah, we, We've we, had the PS1 PSX debate already today.
0: Yeah, well like uh, in keeping with, you know, how games impacted then. Like I didn't play Hurts, but I was, you know, sort of paying attention to video games when PlayStation came around. And in the development, PlayStation was referred to as PSX, which was obviously a far sexier and cooler name. Then P.S. Because it, it had sex in it. It had the word yeah. sex in it. Sex. yes sex. sex. Like
1: psi-sex. Like Aye. psychics having sex Aye. with each other through the medium of wipeout. There were a lot of original sort of PlayStation. Like the Net, Net Yarose is one that I always forget about and then periodically remember. Because everyone at school was like, I've got one of the black PlayStations. Like, no, you didn't. No, you've got a PlayStation that you've covered in with markers, yeah, mate. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody, nobody had a Net Yarose.
0: What, what use would they have had for a Net Yarosé?
1: I remember the PlayStation Magazine demo discs occasionally had Net Yarosé developed games on them. Oh, that yeah. well, the, you know, some that's of just, them were cool. Like.
0: Yeah, that's just another example of uh, magazines getting free content from people who are desperate to get it out there.
1: I have not read <laughs> a video games magazine in years, possibly. Well, <laughs> because why? Why do people need magazines when they have people like us now talking at them about exactly. video games? We are going to educate you, fools. You don't need to play games. You just need to listen to our opinions about games, and then just never look at a game ever again. That's exactly,
0: fine. exactly. Though I don't understand that you can play video games and you can play old video games. You certainly can. There are ways. There to are do this. ways and means. Um, like, for instance, Super Mario Land, you can play it as I've been playing recently by buying it in the 3DS shop and downloading mm. it. It's about £2.80 uh, in the UK. It may cost different currencies in different countries. I don't know about you strange foreigners and your alien ways, mm. but uh, those things exist. Uh, but there are other ways. We've
1: heard... For example, if you want to play Vandal Hearts, if you want a retail copy of Vandal Hearts probably have to pay about 70 or 80 pounds for one on ebay i luckily own a copy because you're cool because i'm cool Mm -hmm. um but you know if you don't want to splash out there are ways for example i own a copy but i still emulated vandal hearts
0: i'm not sure what you're talking about there emulating
1: emulation is legal it's the downloading of roms that is an illegal process so keep that in mind everyone so so
0: remember to emulate but we cannot recommend
1: downloading roms we cannot we can't do that, so we can't and aren't. But no, it's great. I played Vandal Hearts on an emulator, and it was in lovely 1080p and looked really good.
0: But that was fine because you own a copy, exactly. Nice and legal, exactly. Okay, right. This is. This if is anyone an
1: would intro. like a loan of my copy of Vandal Hearts, just get in touch, and I'll, I'll hook you up.
0: Baruthi is a very generous man. A
1: Very generous man.
0: Okay, so let's uh, let's uh, we'll. This has been an intro. You can tell this is the first time, and we're not entirely sure what the format of this is going to be, but this, this
1: has been an intro. This is the first time me and you have ever sat in a room, just the two of us on our own.
0: That's that's also true.
1: I can feel the chemistry beginning. I can feel the spark starting to...
0: We're just riffing. This is just... Exactly. It's incredible. The I hope bo- you've got some stereo
1: spread on this mono mic
0: so people can appreciate me clicking either side of it. I could oh, automate the panning if you'd like. <laughs> I could put some wicked reverb
1: on it. Automate my panning, mate. All right.
0: Okay, right. So we're going to take a little break now. You're going to hear a music sting, and then after that, uh, one of us is going to be asking someone else about a video game. We haven't even decided on the order. Who's yet. going first? Uh, let's. I'll talk to you first. Okay. So, Vandal Hearts first. Vandal Hearts. Vandal Hearts, Vandal Hearts mate. Okay, so Vandal Hearts. This, um, after me, this isn't a game I was familiar with. Uh, I'd heard the name, but. Um, I didn't have a PSX, despite how cool and sexy that, oh, really? that, that name had. Yeah, I, I bought a Saturn. Oh. Because uh, <laughs> they, they, well, the reason I bought a Saturn is because uh, the preview said, oh, they're going to bring out a modem for it, mate. Like, a modem? On my console? All right. I want that. And then uh, I never came to Britain at you all. N-
1: never did get to go in the chat rooms? No,
0: <laughs> I, never, I never got to play a really slow online
1: bomberman. Vandal Hearts, tell us a bit about it. Vandal Hearts says it's a team-based strategy RPG where you have every map has a player team and an enemy team. Um, Within your sort of player team, you you know your party grows as the game goes on via the storyline. Every character has a sort of choosable kind of class tree, Mm -hmm. which at you know certain intervals in the story you can send each character down one or two sort of class paths which okay. is cool so um, within the sort of this simple battle mechanics I mean like it, like I said it's tile based so you move around like you highlight your character and they can move a certain range and then they have moves that have a certain range so it's
0: kind of a like I've only watched certain gameplay videos but it kind of struck me as like a cross between like Final Fantasy and Advance Wars
1: yeah there's a bit there's a bit to that certainly um, it's turn based as well so you get you move your party and then the enemy moves their party and so on and so forth Um usually the victory condition is you defeat all the enemy and usually the defeat condition is like your the leader of your party ash is defeated which mm-hmm. I'll come back to because that can get kind of annoying okay but um so like i said you move your characters around they have a certain move range every turn then they have spells and attacks that have a certain move range every turn um but the main the main sort of mechanic is just grid based turn based fightan
0: Okay I think people have got an image of Vandal Hearts in their head of the it so. nothing else. So what was it like playing it in uh, 1996 7 when did this come yeah, out?
1: Yeah I think so. Um I was introduced like, a friend introduced it to me. Um, he loved it um and then so I played it a few years later but it's like it's so it sucks you in so instantly cuz the combat is like really satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not a big fan of like, RTSs and generally strategy-based things, but Vandal Hearts manages to be, even though it's turn-based and even though it's an SRPG, it manages to be very, like, exciting, like, there's a, I don't know if you saw any footage of like character deaths in particular. No, I didn't see any. Ev- every like. character death is like they die in a torrent of blood, which. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Exciting, yeah. I did, like, that
0: uh, was one of the first things I saw. Just like this geezer of blood exactly, shooting up yeah. from everyone. P- pixelated when they get hit.
1: blood, man. It's awesome.
0: Like, I also quite enjoyed uh, the, the level up animation with every character, no matter how um, sort of gnarled or twisted or good or bad or evil, just sort of jumping like their height into the air yep. and glowing in uh, rainbow colour.
1: Even like the most armoured classes. Jumping in the air. That's amazing. It's joyous. Aye. Uh, the best, w- w- one of the sort of cool, the cool things that really keeps you interested is like I said, um, I think by the end you have about 16 or 17 characters and at level 10 you can choose a class path for them and again at level 20 you can like mm. enhance their class. For example, the healer characters can go down a bishop path which is all healing um, with a couple of attack spells, or they can go down a monk path, which is more sort of balanced, more attack-based, with some healing spells. And then like at level 20, they become either an archbishop or a ninja. And um, every and they go
0: from monk to ninja?
1: Aye. That is not a career path I'd heard before. <laughs> no, nah, no, this is a world of Anvil Hearts. Eh? That's why no <laughs> one's on the dole, eh? Because you can be a, a monk and a ninja. Um the two sort of swordsmen, the three sorry swordsmen characters, they can either become swordsmen, which become duelists, or they can can become guardsmen, which become dragoons. So mm. obviously, dragoons. If you think about like the, the movement sequence, dragoons are like really heavily armored, have really high attack stats, but like they never reach the fray because they have such low movement range.
0: Was dragoon a thing? My only experience with the word dragoon is Panzer Dragoon. I thought uh, it was
1: something they'd made up. Dragoon it's just one of those RPG tropes that they just throw in everywhere. Like if anyone knows what a dragoon actually like the definition of a dragoon, please get in touch.
0: Yeah, we we're we're on Twitter. We'll probably have an email address for this. But exactly. we're desperate to know what a dragoon is. Totally. We're also desperate to know why RPGs are convinced that priests can heal because like you know, um Dogma mate, it's not just dogma. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the Pope wrote to Japan in nineteen eighty one and just sort of went, Hey, excuse me. I uh, need a little bit of uh, PR eh, for the Catholic <laughs> Church.
1: <laughs> <laughs> totally, you've done wonders for them. Like this, yeah,
0: exactly. Everybody all these, all these innocent children walking into Catholic churches, sort of going, uh, "I've got a bit of a of arm. Can you sort that out for me?" And then going, uh, "Just uh,
1: come through the back here. I've got some spells to show you." Exactly. Look at my fine leather-bound tome. <laughs> Tome.
0: Tome. Tome. Um, That word, so words of the day so far have been dragoon and tome. tome. We know what a tome is though before anyone tries to patronise us about that. Come on, who do you think you're talking to? So, something I noticed, uh, don't fault my research, but I looked at the Wikipedia entry for Vandal Hearts. I see. Um, uh, And one of the first things I noticed actually, I read the description of it and thought, oh, that sounds like Dragon Force, which is a game I loved on my Saturn. Uh, not the band, no. Not the band. Very much not the band. Uh, but uh, Dragon Force was like a, a sort of a generals with army sort of thing. It was uh, it was actually quite a different game, but it was a game I loved. But when I read the, read the description, it reminded me of Dragon Force. And then I looked at the video and it's was just like, oh, it's much cooler. <laughs> you win again, PlayStation. Right. In the long, long battle between PlayStation and Saturn, you win again. You know, I'm going to check this, but Vandal Hearts may have got a Saturn release. I believe, according to the oh. Wikipedia page, it came out in Saturn, but was not released in the outside of Japan. Ah, oh, there we go. Ah, but um, yeah, the other thing I noticed uh, from there is that the the character names and personality descriptions were all quite quite sort of detailed. So were the characters like
1: something that you actually sort of follow through. They weren't just classes. Yeah, the characters. Um, if every every character you got was a storyline character. They came in as part of the storyline, and they were all invested in the sort of overall storyline. Some of them even had sort of like sub stories. Uh, one of the archers, Kira, she oh well, uh, it's not much of a twist, but she kind of turns out to be traitorous. Oh, and, uh, uh, and another have, classic. Uh, and then you have sort of your the three characters you start off with is Ash, Clint, and Diego, and Clint and Diego them being sort of your early on companions. They have quite a bit of character development, that sort of thing
0: excellent and they like they all seem to have sort of vaguely French names was that some sort of attempt to tie them into one clan like or? I said it
1: feels very European like the the settings and the towns you know it's very sort of I'm not sure what century it is I'm not really into history but <laughs> they have a definite period European feel
0: I, I'm fairly sure there would be anachronisms all over the place I'm pretty sure they didn't like get a proper medieval historian in to consult on nah, I don't on imagine it. so it, it would be like if you or I decided to make like a Japanese game well the thing is it you like,
1: uh he'll will have a sword, mate. You're kicking about towns that are like they're from like rural France, but you have yeah. like ninjas in your party and archers with like overly mechanised bows. So
0: that, this is how you do RPGs, and this is how you do RPGs right. I think it's important to the hawk ho-
1: the hawk knight class as well, and inexplicably wear jetpacks. That is fantastic. Exactly. Why would you not do but it? But they're kinda like kinda like steampunk kind of jetpacks. Oh didn't I
0: see a guy like also had like some sort of weird mortar railgun sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. The the
1: way the bows end
0: up yeah. is very sort of technical. So this this is not a game to use to revise for your history standard grades. Probably not, no. No. So um was this the first sort of um Turn-based RPG or like
1: strategy RPG that you played? It was it was in the batch. Uh, the first RPGs that I've really sat down with were Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VI, for the Snes and Vandal Hearts. And then soon after, like the the Coden titles. Um, but Vandal Hearts was one of the first five RPGs that I would played. Um, and like I said, it's so addictive. There is just a lot of depth that because you have the class system. Like you get, I mean, the archers. Every time you upgrade an archer, their bows get more and more ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then you have like hawk knights as well, which are air based classes, and it's exciting. There's a good sort of r- r- like replay value there as well because there's so many characters and because there's like two class choices for each. Like you just keep, you know, you can replay it and then immediately start again and have everyone as a different class on your second playthrough.
0: So these are the type of games that always. Um... You know, I feel like I always define these games uh, at their success level by how, like, you know, you sort of settle down for a quick game and then you look up the next thing you know, it's suddenly Tuesday, definitely. and you don't exactly know how that happened. So,
1: like, did you fail any exams because of uh, Vandal Hearts? Or um, I failed some exams because of Chrono Cross, but all oh, right, okay. so yeah, the PS One was definitely a big, my standard grade failure was directly related to the PS One, but nah, I didn't do that bad. So obviously, that was
0: you know how the game sort of impacted you then, and. You know, must have made some impression on you because uh, GRPGs and SRPGs are obviously something that stayed with you for a long time. Oh, this yeah. may be a theme that regular listeners will spot in the future. Barry talking about GRPGs and me talking about side-scrolling platformers as I'm about to do. All right. So, um, how
1: is it going back to it now? Um, good. The it has a gr- it has a great storyline. A lot of a lot of those early sort of Konami, oh Konami, because obviously Vandal Hearts is made by Konami who in the PS1 days were the greatest developer in the world. Unfortunately, I don't think they have a lot of time for their old IPs anymore, which it's is kind shame. of it's a shame. I said, work. there has been there was a Vandal Hearts recently actually. It was like an arcade Xbox Live arcade title. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's on PSN as well, but it wasn't it wasn't up to much. It failed to capture the spirit of the first two. Is that is that too slavishly
0: trying to be the same as Vandal Hearts, or just like missing a, some X factor? It
1: had a very strange art direction. Oh, sure. And that because the art, I mean, the art direction of the first Vandal Hearts is it's it's slightly Japanese, but it's not all the way anime. It's it feels very European Vandal Hearts. That's what I like about it.
0: I have to say, like this again, like this wasn't a game I was familiar with, so I watched uh, gameplay videos on on YouTube, and I was instantly struck like. It's still a good-looking game in a way that mm. games from that generation often aren't. Uh, like Barry was saying, like the the actual sprites are are sprites; they're they're two D pixel art sprites uh, on a three D polygon-generated background. So you know the camera sort of swoops around and things like that, um, and it still looks really nice. Like the art direction it sort of gets over a lot of the limitations. Like I saw it a does. lot of the um, like the really big attacks, like there were, like these sort of like multicolored ribbons going from oh. the character and. And hitting in, and you know, like they were sort of crisp and clear enough that they didn't just look like, you know, it's not like when you
1: rewatch Babylon Five these days and just sort of want to gouge your own eyes out. There are a handful of PS One titles that maybe aren't as replayable. I, I played a lot, of, I've replayed a lot of PS One RPGs recently, and uh, Grandia was a game that I was always told to play, and like I believe it's great, but the battle graphics are just offensive. Every time my battle starts in Grandia, I felt a bit like, oh, not again. But Vandal Heart still looks great because of the type of game it is the visuals fit it perfectly and the visuals never get in the way of the enjoyment or sort of the immersion of it so it's kind of nice from that point of view but um, yeah as I was saying about the storyline mm-hmm. um, this like early Konami games they all had a theme of like there's a lot of liberation armies in early Konami games um, mm-hmm. where there's like oh you know there's a sort of corrupt government and you play the leader of the army trying to overthrow the corrupt government and um, Vandal Hearts is kind of cool in that there's a bit of sort of political intrigue and stuff in the plot, and it's just kind of nice. It focuses around um, the main character Ash Lambert, who um, you find. Oh, well, I won't. I won't ruin the twist in the tale. But um, basically, he works for sort of this is the secure the police, the security forces of this certain government, who then becomes sort of corrupt, and then he. Gets framed for all sorts of crimes he didn't commit, and the short version of the story is he forms this liberation army and they overthrow the, the sort of corrupt government. Go Ash, totally. So that make you know when you're replaying it, the storyline is good storyline. Eh? There's a time skip in it as well. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a sucker for time skips. <laughs> like every, oh, so there's like a three year time skip about a third of the way through the game, and I'm into that. I love time yeah, I skips. That,
0: that. That's got you hooked immediately. It really so does. Did that
1: blow your your tiny mind? Aye. there is there are a few battles in particular that are good, but one of the great ones is after the time skip happens, your party sort of split, and then when you return to the the sort of basically like ashes a, a fraction of Ash's party gets sucked off through time mm-hmm. <laughs> sucked off through time um and then well, basically you're 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 kicking about in some strange nether dimension for a few battles, and then it all sort of there's a big climactic battle where you break the rest of your party out of a prison. And that's pretty special.
0: I did, like, it feels, uh, you know, it's very easy to to beat RPGs over the head for, like, the quality of translation and storytelling and things like that. But I did watch a few cutscenes, and there was one in particular that just stuck out where, like, a character is sucked off through time or in a dimension or something like that. It's this girl who seems to be very important to the story right. for one thing that they're about to do. Uh, and then, like... Like she's like the last of her kind, or something like that. She's the only one who can break the spell to get a sword out of a thing. You know, like like add some multi-syllable names onto that, and you've you've basically got the entire actual story. Totally. And then like her her companion, who was just like her mate, just suddenly sort of goes, "Oh wait, I just remembered. I'm actually her from the past. I fell into time, come out eighteen years ago. Couldn't remember who I am, but now." Yeah, I'm actually her. We can totally do this thing. It's exactly. fine. And, and then... that's the most JRPG. It's got amnesia, hidden identity. It's got um, unflagged plot twist. It's got deus ex machina. It's got every trope that you would like from a JRPG story. Just like, and it happens in like three minutes, and everyone's just like, all oh, right, that's fine, now let's get back on with things.
1: And also the, the sword in question that's unsealed is... Vandal Heart. Of course, yes, of course. it is. Yeah, that's yeah. The, the final triumphant fist pump of that game. <laughs> like, oh, one thing I've remembered is I was saying about how it has a sort of European feel mm-hmm. to it. The last town that you go to before the final battle is called Glasgow. <laughs> 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 what what happens in Glasgow? There's a blacksmith and that, and there's a tavern, but it's not actually as Glaswegian as I'd hoped. But oh, we I just noticed one day we're like, this town's called Glasgow.
0: Uh, I can just imagine the developers just sort of like pouring over a list of European cities and just like Glasgow that (laughs) is that's a crazy name for a place Glasgow (laughs) (laughs) well yeah that's a good point actually that might have just been like the American translators decided that Glasgow was the the weirdest name maybe like the original script it was like uh, you know like Nidri Granton Uh, yeah Granton the American translators like no one's going to buy a place called Nidri that doesn't exist uh, yeah, um, I particularly enjoyed as well. Like, um, watch the the intro sequence, and there's a lot of uh, rippling water and reflections in the intro sequence. It was mm. a big thing in the PS era of like they can make graphics ripple, which sort of like immediately made me hearken back to a time when. Uh, like even just sort of watching the uh, the graphics that get displayed when you listen to a CD on a PlayStation One was just like a mind blowing experience. There
1: are so many great opening FMVs from that era.
0: I particularly enjoyed like the sort of like their sort of interstitial cutscenes, which are obviously again a, a standard thing for RPGs of this yeah, time. Yeah, start
1: of every chapter. It's like kind mm. of chapter based storyline, mm-hmm.
0: and the narrator is amazing because um, uh, like I'm sure we'll drop in some audio. Right now Sostagaria for over a millennium
1: the fertile lands in the heart of this vast continent were ruled by the holy Asha dynasty, descendants of Taroa,
0: the Messiah Sostagaria but, uh there is um an amazing thing about it in that uh, like there's there's subtitles going along the bottom of the screen and the narrator seems to be timing what he's saying along with how the subtitles appear on the screen, which is like, you know, one of the main problems with dubbing like foreign uh, animation is that you have to make an effort to match your words, match the movements of the, the mouth of the characters. That's why you get things like, oh my God, we have to run now because, you know, obviously the original speech was a completely different rhythm. I don't get why he's doing that with subtitles that they could put on in any order. He's just sort of going, this was the kingdom of the Vandal Heart where people walked out into the ocean.
1: I can't tell where he's from here. <laughs> he has such a unique voice. I can't tell if, if, if he's Japanese and speaks English or if he is...
0: I think he's one of the... He, he is an actor in Hollywood who clearly had, on his accents in his CV, had... English, fairly high, and like the studio doing the translation, just sort of like saw that and went sort of like, "Oh yeah, this is a sort of medievally thing. We should totally get an English guy to do it."
1: I think so too.
0: And uh, I don't think that guy has ever been to England, spoken to an English person, or could point to England on a map at all. I think he's. I think he thinks Kelsey Grammar's English.
1: I think he probably does.
0: I think that's how he's uh, sorted that one out. That's also an amazing thing for me um, about experiencing just art in general when you're a kid, but particularly video games, is like in your head, like because they've asked for money for this and it's on a PlayStation, obviously these were incredible professionals that produced mm. this. These are like people on the top of their game. They're they're not definitely not in your head as they almost inevitably turn out to be like twenty year old guys who've just graduated or have no training whatsoever or yeah. just hustled their way into a job doing this for no money whatsoever. Getting the cheapest voice actors and translators
1: did you uh, did you see anything about the vandalier class
0: um I watched uh, like the final battle with um uh ashes a vandalier
1: yeah uh, um the vandalier ashes kinda you lose with every battle except two you lose if Ash is killed mm-hmm. which can lead to maybe not sending Ash out into battle because if he dies, it's game over, which is annoying. It's the only real negative point about the game for me. But to offset this, there's a secret class for Ash, which is the Vandalier. And you do this by, you find prisms and throughout the course of the game, you get these by, every map has hidden items on it, mm-hmm. which you can just find on like, grid, mo- like parts of the grid might look slightly different. You run over and examine it and you'll get an item. I think there are six or eight I have done it recently, but I can't remember because they're horrifyingly difficult. <laughs> these battles where you go into a sort of they're like bonus maps where you have to fight like a lot of difficult enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you complete all of these, um, you unlock the Vandalier class for Ash, which has every spell and every item in the game as so as a move. So it's God mode, basically. Pretty much, the, the Vandalier is absolutely unkillable, and it is. I, like I, I was under the impression it was overpowered, but until I actually got it and used it, I was like, it breaks the game. There's no point in playing the last few battles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With ashes of Vandalia, so I don't know. It just seems like oh, these probably just put it in at the end.
0: Well, yeah, it's possibly just like what God mode was in every single game. Like you know, it's so the developers could go in and run
1: through the levels to make sure there weren't any bugs. Quite possibly, and it just seems like got
0: left in there.
1: Uh, it, it is, as sprite is like. Differently drawn from the rest of the characters <laughs> as well. He looks like really artificially tall. There's something not quite right about Vandalia. Like there's not something quite right about God, which I think is the uh, this
0: is true. This is the tale that you we're taking away from this. Yeah. Profound thoughts that Eothe is just some of the flavour of what you're going to get on one more go with Barry and Nickel.
1: Exactly, deep stuff. But um, aye, so I mean, th- there you go. That's something that I would only ever got the Vandalia on the most recent time I played it through. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was my 15th, 16th playthrough of that game. 16 so playthroughs. I just that says never... something about the quality of the game. It's jury. great. I've played it so many times. It's quite short as well. You can get it done in 20 hours and it's like a joyous 20 hours. And there you go. I mean, I just never had the patience to try for Vandalier before because some of those bonus maps are really frustrating, but... So what what was the sort of wider impact of the game, do you
0: think? Did it sort of change the way strategy RPGs or JRPGs were played? How how big was it? How popular was it at the time?
1: Um, it wasn't so popular over here because it suffered from the same fate as a lot of PS1 RPGs where there just wasn't that many copies of it floating about. Mm-hmm. Which is, for anyone that's played uh, Sukodin 1 or Sukodin 2, um, they're now incredibly rare because there was so few copies. So I think it probably had quite a big impact for people that have played it. I know a few people that have played Vandal Hearts and everyone loves it. I don't know anyone that's played it that doesn't like it because it's sort of quite uniquely charming and it has you know a bit of depth to it as well. Um, it came in the total, for me, it came in the golden age of RPGs though. Like mm-hmm. That throng of PS1 RPGs that were floating about at that time are all great. So it's a great companion for anyone that wants to go back and play a lot of PS1 RPGs. Stuff like uh, you know, like Xenogears and Sakoden One and Two, and like Grandia. There's so many great PS One RPGs, and Vandal Hearts is is up there. Like, even if you're not a fan of strategy RPGs, if you're more a fan of the traditional turn-based JRPGs, I'd still play Vandal Hearts because it is a quality product. And um, there was a sequel as well, which I've not played all the way through because it kind of failed. It's great, but it f- failed to really set me on fire quite as much as the first one did. But and that sort of
0: emulation is really what we're looking for in our in our old video games. Um in terms of games that are, are now doing similar things, um, like I would say something like Deskia possibly. Yeah. Um how does it hold up against that that sort of thing? Is it a worthwhile experience playing it instead of those games as a game now or is it definitely a, a sort of retro cruise? Like are you definitely playing an old game?
1: Disgaea is great. It's a great series, but it doesn't have the depth that Vandal Hearts does. Mm. Um, And obviously, if you're not the sort of person that's into anime cliches, then you might not be into Disgaea. But Vandal Hearts, I'd play it... If I was going to play any grid-based RPG, it'd be Vandal Hearts every time. Simply put, it's the best one. The class system gives you a chance to play a slightly different game every time you play it. So um, it doesn't... Like I said, because the visuals... You know, because, like, the pixel art's good, and Mm -hmm. because the the sort of isometric polygon map thing works so well, it doesn't feel like you're playing an old game. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just doesn't. Like, you're aware when you start, you're like, this is a PS1 game. But no, the mechanics in that are still great. It's kind of well-balanced, and it definitely still holds up, withstands the test of time.
0: Well, that sounds like a hearty recommendation oh, for checking at Vandal Hearts.
1: Anyone that's a fan of RPGs, if you've not played Vandal Hearts, immediately play it.
0: I wish you could see the look in Barry's face now when he describes it's it, the so tear good. in his eyes. It's so with- good.
1: And like we were discussing earlier on, if you can get a copy or if you can own a copy and somehow decide to emulate it instead of playing the copy that you've purchased, it looks great emulated. Like I said, I played it 1080p on. Um, PSXE, I think, is the... Yeah, PSXE is the PlayStation emulator. Um, But it looks great. Like, some additional filters applied.
0: And if you Google any or all of these terms, you might find out a way to play Vandal Hearts. You may find
1: out a way to play Vandal Hearts.
0: And uh, we here at One More Go would thoroughly recommend that you do.
1: So, Nicol, you have been playing Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins. On the 3DS, you said?
0: Yeah, yo, I've been emulating it on the 3DS. Is it emulation? I don't yes. I know,
1: technically. Hardware it's, emulation? I think.
0: This is this was a Game Boy game back in the day, which was um, a game very much like it's a beautiful looking game mm. for, for the Game Boy. And one of those games that come across every so often where, like, at the time when you're looking at it, it's like, how, how did they fit all of this in? Because, um, like, it came out after Super Mario World on the SNES.
1: Which year was Mario Land 2 then? Mario
0: Land 2 was 92 in Japan, 93 in Europe. Okay. This was also a time, this was like, it only took about a year for this to to get to uh, the UK, which like, because this was at a time when Nintendo still dragged their heels over everything. Like, Mario 3 took like three years to come to Britain for no real reason. Like, Mario World took about 18 months to two years, but that's because it was a launch title for the Super Nintendo, so obviously they had to Wait until they had enough Super Nintendos to mm. to sell in in Europe uh, before they could release the game. Mario three just took three years for no reason whatsoever, uh, and that was you know at the height of the Nintendo hates Europe. Uh, yeah, now, now Nintendo hates America,
1: so <laughs> like we lucked out in the end.
0: Super Mario Land really, um, definitely a step up graphically from Super Mario Land one which uh, aped the graphic style of Super Mario Brothers. Indeed. With, like, really blocky, simple pixel art. Uh, and this one, it's, like, big, beautiful, rounded characters, very detailed, using a lot of the same sort of character designs from Mario World and Mario 3. And it's really cartoony. It's, it, it's very beautiful. And it's quite a big game for a Game Boy game as well. Mario World? Six. Six zones. Oh, There's zones, which is a controversial zones. thing. Um, again, a odd storyline for a Mario game. Mm. There's no princess. In Super Mario Land 2. The idea is this this takes place just after Mario Land, which uh, was apparently set in Sarasaland. Again, thank you, Wikipedia. Yep. Uh, Mario's just come back from Sarasaland, saving Princess Daisy. Don't even know why he went there. Who's Princess Daisy? It's
1: Luigi's Bird twice. Why's he you not know, saving her?
0: Sort everything out in your home. Take care of your own business first, Mario. Exactly. But he comes back to Mario Land. Mario's got his own land, by the way. And Wario, this is the first appearance of Wario... Um, has taken over Mario's castle. Mario has a castle, by the way. Mario has a castle in Mario Land. Um, And he's brainwashed all the people in Mario Land to hate Mario, so that Mario can basically just like
1: live in his castle. The castle thing is very strange. When you consider in later Mario games, like the Paper Mario series, him and Luigi just live in a wee shack. It's like, yeah. what happened to you, Mario? Like, <laughs> with Nintendo taking all your money off you?
0: I mean, it's like, well, maybe like the currency discrepancy between Mario Land and the Mushroom Kingdom is really big. Like, in Mario Land, Mario can live in a castle, but when he gets to the Mushroom Kingdom, he's exactly. got like, like three coins. He was I
1: mean, simply overthrown by Wario, who wasn't happy with it. Wario wanted to redistribute the wealth. What well, he wanted he to do. this?
0: was the six golden coins apparently Mario's keys? <laughs> this is how he opened the door to oh, his castle. That is beyond affluent. Yeah, That's horrible. Yeah. So Mario um, like distributed these keys amongst the bosses in the various zones, amongst the people, amongst the people. Yeah, redistributing the, the, the wealth. Mario is a socialist hero when he first appeared. He really was. Um, and yeah, so and from there, it's a fairly straightforward Mario game. Tro- walking through uh, Mario lands, you've got like
1: the sort of map. Which oh, one thing. thing I remember is the maps are great. Yep, so good. Especially yep. the giant Mario. Yeah, zone. The, well,
0: this is the thing in Mario Land, in Mario's country, he has a giant robotic version of himself <laughs> just standing about in the countryside, and that is one of the, the the levels where you sort of go through. And inside, it's all like gears and swords, saws, 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 because you know those are vital components of the inside of a robot are saws. Um, great map,
1: though. That great map. map. So great good. map.
0: Just. Uh, automaton Mario doing his thing while little actual Mario dances on his tongue. Exactly. Great times. Heady memories. Um, so at the time, I was really taken with the game. Um, the game was actually the first Mario game I completed. Ah, uh, yeah. Not the first Mario ga- game I played. Uh, my mate Andy had an NES, mm-hmm. And when Mario Brothers 3 came out, we we loved that game. That was one of our things. That and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Oh, and uh, listening to Def Leopard. You listen to Def Leppard, just really. just just one song that was on the Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey soundtrack. Ah, I see, okay. Uh, you're, um, you're
1: forgiven. That is
0: God gave rock and roll to you by Kiss. <laughs> I was I was ten. I didn't know what Kiss meant,
1: but uh, you, yeah. Do you know now? <laughs> <laughs> if I don't, you're about to teach me. Uh, I am. Uh, son, I always rem- I, like I, again. I played Maryland to mm-hmm. at the time on giant chunky Game Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing I like about the Land series is how much it, it, well, it. didn't digress from the the Mario sort of signature things, but like the power ups are always different in Mario mm-hmm. Land games, especially in Mario Land Two. Like even the Fire Flower things kind of different. It's like that feather. Thing
0: yeah, yeah. Matter. Well, I mean, like that was. I think a lot of it's like graphical limitations. Like, yeah. like the most, the most uh, stark one is that uh, one ups aren't mushrooms; they're love hearts. All oh, right. Uh, because obviously you can't distinguish between the colours of mushrooms, which is how they normally do one-ups in the uh, in Mario games. So uh so they're love hearts. Um in Mario Land one, the fire flower is really different because it doesn't sort of go along the ground, you just hit it off the ground, and immediately bounces at a forty-five degree angle nice. into the air. Nice. And unless so, it so bounces useful. off something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um like in Mario Land 2, it behaves like a firefly, but like you say, the way they signify, rather than changing the colour of what Mario's wearing, because obviously they can't do that, mm. there's just like definite things happen with his hat. So when he's got a firefly, where he gets a feather. When he gets um, uh, what I th- always thought was a turnip, but again, thanks to Wikipedia, I find it's out carrot. it's now a magic carrot. Ah, because he gets the rabbit ears. Yeah, yeah, he gets rabbit ears. It suddenly totally makes, rabbit, well, uh, no, totally <laughs> makes sense. He's got rabbits turnips there No, that totally makes sense. You know, the, the weird thing is, it's probably a Japanese thing. Like this probably is like a, like a mystic radish or something yeah, like that, was, and they will wasa- be wasa- wasabi like. uh, Yeah, so Magic character. you give your bunny ears, but uh-huh. you can't
1: fly, you can only sort of float slowly. Kind of like the sort of between the cape and the sort of raccoon suit then.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, um, that was the thing I loved about the cape in uh, in Mario World. It actually felt like flying. You had to really sort of tiny yeah, you swoops. Yeah, you had to and, learn how to
1: do it. You didn't just yeah. run and then you had to Learn to do the bouncy. Yeah,
0: um, it's most like, and this is a one for the kids. Uh, in Decap Attack on the Mega Drive, the the character in Decap Attack was able to like if you bashed um, uh, jump, you were able to sort of do a floaty slide down. You know, actually, it's like Yoshi and Yoshi Islands too. You ah, know, like right, uh, right. And, like that would have been a more germane comparison to make. But I went for Decap Attack because you, you just know try that's to show off. That's how we roll on one more go. Decap Attack, man. Decap Attack, you don't know, you don't know. You don't um, know about the cap attack,
1: so yeah. What other power ups are there? Are there any um, more? That's or
0: that's that, it. Um, but um, it's uh, it's interesting. Like the 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 one zone that really um, sort of marks out Mario Land Two as a Mario game is uh the space zone, which like um. Well, first of all, in order to get there, you have to jump into a bubble that's breathed out by a giant hippo statue. I remember this. And float through the,
1: oh, f- float through
0: the sky. That's, that's nostalgia. And that's, that is obviously how you get to the moon, by floating in a giant hippo bubble. Isn't the boss on the moon? Yeah, it's the boss from Mario Land 1, the guy who... Um, his the, name the begins guy with a T, you can't it's, remember. It's it. like
1: Tatanga or that, something.
0: Yeah, I think you got it. I is think you it? got it, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, but on the moon... Uh, Mario's wearing a spacesuit, and uh, <sighs> it's it's low gravity. So this is really interesting because um, one of the great tropes about the Mario series is that like every single one introduces a new element which changes things. Now normally it's like throughout the gameplay. So obviously in Mario three, it was I mean mostly for Mario three, it was the maps and the raccoon like flying, being able to open the levels up yeah. vertically rather than just horizontally. Mario World, it was Yoshi. Mario sixty four, it's three D. Obviously. And then um, Mario Sunshine, you've got the water pack, which, you know, obviously not everybody loves, but it's I think you know, it's at least something different. Uh, and then in Mario Galaxy, um, they somehow like found a new dimension, which was like messing with gravity and things like that. Mm. But the essential core of Mario remains the same, which is um, it's about precision jumping, like the the dynamic of jumping with Mario stays the same throughout all these games, and it's one of the absolute joys of controlling Mario that you know exactly how fast to run and how hard to press the jump button to get him to do all these incredible feats of athletics. But um, on the Space Zone, it suddenly becomes a different game, because you're suddenly jumping really long and slowly, and uh, you're jumping so far, you can't really see what you're landing on, so suddenly like all the levels become leaps of faith, mm. which is like a a big problem in the sort of 2D platforms, but because this is a Mario game you somehow get uh, carried along. So it's the first time they really sort of um, messed with jumping. And it's only on one zone, there's only like three levels in that zone, but um, it, it, it was like a really um, dramatic thing that stuck out about that game. Uh, the ending of Super Mario Land 2 is terrible. Oh, really? it's, uh, yeah, like there's there's nothing that happens. Like you get to um, you have to f- you fight Wario. You right? fight Wario, Wario's the big boss. This is an interesting thing actually. Um the game's difficulty throughout is pretty sort of bog standard Mario. It's not too challenging. Um I think even at the time, like I say, like uh, I played it at the time on the Game Boy, uh so I would have been about twelve or something like that. Mm-hmm. And this I is I would have been about four. Yeah, something like that, you fresh faced young funster. Look at me. Um this is something that listeners will need to learn about me if we get into the games. I am I am terrible at video games. I love playing them. I'm so bad at doing them. I very rarely complete games because I'm really bad at them. But even at the time, Mario Land Two was one that I like. I managed to complete and I did mm. it. So going back, you know, going through the the main levels and the zones, like they're they're fun, but you know they're not too hard. The last level is ridiculous. Like I'd, I'd loaded up. I had 99 lives when I started it took me to like down to 26 giant, lives giant light.
1: fireballs giant those fireball, giant, giant piranha plants Aye, spinning across I remember the screen. this precision
0: jumps it is um, horrible Haven't they done? no restart points so you've got to do the whole thing you've got those flying discs with Wario's face on yep. that you've got to no, like, take out do you have to fight Wario twice Wario gets it's three times he's three staged Whoa. and when you get to Wario Wario's sitting in your throne Wario is literally four times the size of Mario he's twice as wide and twice as tall he's this huge misshapen gnome uh, has none of the, like the personality that we sort of associate with Wario these days. He's mm. just this big, evil dude. Apparently, again, Wikipedia research. Wario comes through because um, it's like a portmanteau of Mario and uh, Wario. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've probably mangled that terribly, but it's just Japanese for bad. Ah, so he's literally bad like Mario. bad Mario. Good, good. Uh, yeah, so like you first start him and he's just uh, jumping around, and then you go like you hit him three times, sort of classic Standard. Mario uh, boss. Uh, he runs into the next room. He gets a, a black fire and starts shooting fireballs at Very you. Nice. Hit him three times. You go through it and he gets a black carrot in the last one. And Oh, no, I've mixed up the carrot and the fire flower, But fire fire no, fire ways, you've got to hit him nine times, which makes him a chunky and satisfying boss. What's well, one of my main problems with Mario Boss is that you only hit them three times. For some reason, Like I was raised on Sonic, so I think you've got to hit them eight times Always, it's not a boss, what are nah, you playing I'm, at?
1: See, I'm, I'm, I'm three times
0: You're three times all over? Three times, mate, that's what it takes <laughs> To reach satisfying
1: if satisfaction. Did, satisfaction If they didn't go down after three you're not doing it right <laughs> <laughs> You've no hit them hard enough exactly. Sonic! Correct me if I'm wrong, but you know the, the door mount where you put the six golden coins mm-hmm. does the door say Super Mario Land 2 on it?
0: No, I think th- th- like the design was based on the in the title screen. Aye, I have to get that out. But like the, the actual door when you go out to the castle, it doesn't. It's just got an e- well. There's an M that's been inverted by Wario. He's ah, flipped around Mario's plot. M just to remember. make it a W. I thought it said
1: Mario Land Two on it for
0: some reason. Oh yeah, but I didn't say about the ending. Once you finally beat Wario, he just runs away. The W re-inverts to an M, and that's it. That's you get it. some ending music. You get the credits. We find out that. Um, uh, Hiroji Kiyotaki directed it. We found out that Gunpei Yokoi was the producer. Gunpei!
1: Gunpei! My boy Gunpei! Aye, the creator of many a glorious thing.
0: Yeah, so we find out that they they were the guys, and then, like, once they get to any of the credits, the music just keeps on looping forever. And nothing really? happens. It doesn't even go back to the title screen. you just got to turn off the Game boy.
1: This is This is one thing. People, a lot, a lot of, sort of Mario fans have a complaint that Mario games have. I mean, I'm a Mario fan, and I'm like, yeah, sometimes there's just no story iron there. But... When you do get storyline like Mario Galaxy, for instance, mm-hmm. it's like, please take it away. It's breaking my heart.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, the Mario Galaxy storyline is just beautiful. Just like the beautifully presented as well, those storybooks. Breaks my heart, man. Yeah. Mario Galaxy, though, is probably the greatest game ever. Aye, it's up there.
1: And uh, Mario
0: Land 2 is definitely a part of its
1: development. How do you think um, it plays now as a sort of 2D side-scroller, given the graphics of the Game Boy aren't top-notch or anything?
0: Well, oh, it's still, like I say, it still looks clear. What I do notice now is that um, being monochrome, sometimes things get lost a little in background detail. Mm. you are like this, like the. I didn't actually own a Game Boy when I played Mario Land. I borrowed my little sister's. My oh, little right. sister had a had the Game Boy. I didn't actually buy a Game Boy. You
1: had a, a Saturn. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I didn't. Yeah, <laughs> that just carried around with Can me. Can
1: we get your little sister to do this instead of <laughs> you? <usually. laughs> How do you think Mario Land Two stands up to a lot of the, the other Game Boy games of the time? Stuff like Kirby Dreamland and.
0: Um, I think it sounds like well, like I say, like the like the, the sort of technical limitations do sort of come into play when you're playing it. Like sprite collision Aye. is a little odd. Like um like it's really easy to land just or like rather than top of the, the enemy around like sort of like two pixels down and suddenly you're losing a life because they've really badly bruised your toe caps. Aye. sort of thing. But I think that's that's a fairly standard part of um like the game by trying to move around those sort of sprites. There is a lot of noticeable slowdown like when you get a lot of sprites on the screen and then you like chuck a fireball and like the Game Boy just starts nah, um, no. I assume you
1: remember a lot of flickering sprites
0: that like, doesn't happen too much in Mario Land 2 actually really. I mean, but that was else. a Game Boy thing that, uh, that was me. a Game Boy thing like. yeah that, that, reminded me. that was reminding uh, me that happened on the spectrum a lot if you got like more than like three sprites in the same plane of action uh, couldn't handle that much movement on the same bit of screen mm-hmm. so things flickered in and out uh, those were the days this is why we're talking about retro games exactly Um, so it stands up pretty well stands up pretty well the one really striking thing about it is the art design is a bit different um, mostly because you know they're trying to get these sort of big bold sprites to look good on a Game Boy screen but also possibly because it's like um, a different art director than you would get on like the the mainline games but um, a lot of the characters look more like sort of the things that you would get in uh straight-to-video Disney ripos You know, mm-hmm. like, they look like they were designed by Don Bluth rather than, than, than Disney sort of right. thing. And uh, it's like, you know, these ants with, like, big sort of Western eyes, like big sort of Garfield eyes, you know, like the overlapping mm-hmm. um, things. The other thing is, what well, there are a couple of, like, um, uh, cool characters in Mario Land that I'm absolutely amazed haven't been in any other games. On one level, one of the Haunted Castle levels, there's Ghost Goombas. Oh, Goomboos, as they're apparently called, uh, they're great. They, those things are rad. They would totally work in a three D Mario game, and also not even technically in the game. On the game save screen, when you want to erase a game, like uh, like you've got your three game slots and they're like pipes in the ground sort of thing. Yeah. And if you want to erase a game, you hit the erase button, and Mario turns into a ball bomb with a big Mario moustache, and then you go down the appropriate pipe to erase it. How Mario Galaxy has not used a bob Bomb suit...
1: This is this is true. Like,
0: uh, you could sell so many toys, so many T-shirts with a Mario bob on it that uh, I I can't even imagine how Nintendo imagined to leave this on the table.
1: You're currently wearing a bob T-shirt. I so am currently wearing a bob T-shirt. You're for the bob I'm down
0: with the bob Bombs, but you put a Mario nose and moustache on there and you have improved the unimprovable. Mm. Okay, mm. so yes, Mario Land 2... A lot of fun to play. It's an important piece of Mario history, if only for the characters it spawns, but also uh, very much worth your two pound eighty from the 3DS shop. And uh, it reminds me of being twelve and playing it obsessively, which is fantastic. That's what we're all about here on one I more game days. Yeah,
1: yeah. This is the upside. If you're the sort of person that can play vintage games, then you're going to get a lot of good games for really cheap. Exactly. In the case of Super Mario, maybe not so much in the case of *Vandal Hearts*, as discussed. But yeah, if if you're the kind of person that can put graphical limitations, if like I, e, if you're not the sort of person that's into playing *Crisis*, then. (laughs) You should generally be fine with a lot of these games. This is what if we want. If you're the sort I mean, of person who's into Point Crisis, you're just generally not going to be fine. Probably not going to be listening to this podcast either, yeah. let's be <laughs> honest. I'm just going to rip into them. Graphics, mate. <laughs> Fucking graphics. I've got my NVIDIA SLI, mate. I burnt my hoist <laughs> But no, I mean, this is kind of the thing we want is that, you know, if you're listening to this and you're listening about these games and you've not played them, then please go and play them because we won't be doing any games that aren't pretty stellar, I'd imagine
0: yeah exactly they're all going to be worthwhile playing just now this isn't um, this is definitely a celebration this isn't going to be you know sitting there going oh man look at how blocky the Playstation was I can't believe I looked at that exactly because you know it's a product of its time it's an important way of getting to where we are and any game is lovely any game is great let's enjoy games because they're good Okay, so um, I think that wraps up Super Mario Land 2 I'd say so 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 we're going to play hear some more of the, music.
1: Play the audio for that ad campaign.
0: Oh, yeah, the ad campaign was incredible. Like, right. this, uh, like from the classic era of uh, video game adverts, where they were clearly handed to advertising companies, who had no idea what was going on, just had like a one page press release with some artwork and a vague description of what was happening. So they just animated uh, a talking Wario and. Uh, Glorious.
1: Again, another spectacular voice actor
0: coming up. Yeah. Enjoy. What is this Wario... Well, I must infuse him with life. Step aside and I will become Wario. Obey me,
1: Wario. I am your master. Mario is your enemy. The wicked imposter Wario has cast an evil spell over Mario Land. Don't let Mario get the six golden coins. Don't let Mario reach the palace. This is the biggest, most dangerous, most challenging D-boy adventure yet. Obey Wario. Destroy Mario. Don't fall under Wario.
0: Okay, so uh, just to wrap this up, we thought it'd be a good idea uh, to kind of introduce ourselves in terms of our, our gaming uh, tastes, because obviously that'll let you know how to how to properly align yourself, what context to put our opinions in.
1: You can choose your favourite out of me and Nickel as well,
0: exactly, and make sure that you tell us repeatedly which one you like the most, so Definitely. that we can. Uh, We know he gets the captain's chair next week. uh, Next time. It's not going to be next week. There's no way it's going to be next week. Um, So what we're going to do is we're going to steal um, a feature from the last episode of GameLank. And they want mine because they're our good friends. I wrote them a theme tune. Yeah, they owe you.
1: They owe me big.
0: And technically we're actually stealing uh, the redoubtable, the solid Twitter citizen Simon Cole's idea. Because he tweeted in a question in the last one asking uh, which games define you as a gamer. Which we felt was uh, a very interesting question
1: and uh, a very suitable one. It's suitable. Simon as well as uh, he's my video game soulmate. I feel is like. that right? Yeah. Uh, Simon's played Vandal Hearts. I'm sure. <laughs> me and him <laughs> is, and the it, only two guys. people. Uh, it's just us. But. You're the guy. So we've got an
0: audience of one for your section of this podcast. Totally. That's, that's very that's satisfying.
1: One person. <laughs> I'm going to be their favourite. So that's good news.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, nobody's into Mario. So you know, I've clearly uh, just no. thrown this away.
1: What is Mario? <laughs>
0: what? Who, why is Mario? Why is Mario? Which is Mario? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I believe in the Gamework one, they, they chose three games each, but um, because we don't have as much time or brain power to dedicate to this, we're going to do two.
1: I thought we were only picking two because we only need two, just because we're better. Well, because, well, <laughs> either better or much more shallow and easy to define. Exactly. Neither of them is like, I, are you going to pick Morrowind? I wasn't planning on picking Morrowind, unfortunately.
0: I have, I have never... Wanted to or tried to play
1: Morrowind. There we go. That's us alienated all the neckbeards. So that's, <laughs> exactly. that's one box tick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and if I have achieved anything today, alienating a neckbeard is a massive tick. Um. So I'll start. Like, the, the first game I was going to choose... Um, as something that both sort of defines how I generally game and uh, a really important step in my gaming history for me was uh, Rocket Knight Adventures on the Mega Drive. Mm. Um, again, Konami. Again, Konami. Back from when Konami were were the lads, world beaters. Exactly. Um, now the reason I, I I chose this when obviously it was a game I really enjoyed at the time, and um, you know spotting a the theme here, it's a side-scrolling platformer, which is. Something that men of a certain age and a certain disposition will always uh, choose as their go to game. But um, the reason I really chose it is uh, it had a, a really creative aesthetic in that no one level was exactly the same. Uh, it The premise of it is a side throwing uh, platformer where you've got a, a character in armor with like a sword that sort of shoots out like energy beams from it. He's also a possum, so he's got an opposable tail, so he can hang off branches right. and things like that and slide about. And he's also got a rocket pack on, so he can like uh, accelerate himself across the screen, like uh, horizontally, vertically, and diagonally. Mm-hmm. So this sort of jet engine thing. But that lends itself to um, sort of shoot him up levels where he's just sort of flying through space, uh, shooting at characters. There's like vehicle-based levels. One of the boss fights, he jumps into like a giant mecha and has a, a boxing match with another mecha. Awesome. Uh, just like endless creativity, like a, a level where you're flowing down a, a waterfall as enemies come towards you, and then the boss sort of like jumps out through the water and uh, swirls all around you. And uh, a, a, an incredible piece of innovation at the time, the second level begins with a boss. Begins with a boss, Barry. Can you imagine that? No at the end, no even in the middle.
1: I can't even process that. It's just so innovative. Yeah, it's like level two, start, boss. mm
0: and uh, in you know 1994 or whenever it was, that was just me looking at this and is this allowed? Can they do this? Totally. Uh, and the reason I chose this as a game that defines me is that I, when a lot of things that I, I sort of absorb, I have a really short attention span and like things to change around a lot. Uh, and you can see this in like, probably my favorite game of all time now is Super Mario Galaxy, as we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. And the main theme of Mario Galaxy is that every level is a new idea. And I, I love that people that can take a unifying mechanic, it all feels like the same game, it's not like a mini-game collection, it all feels like the same game, but um, they can use the dynamic of what the character's abilities and personality are to do something different continually. And uh, I like that very, very much.
1: For me, the most defining game, probably, of my life is um, Legend of Mystical Ninja on N64. Mm-hmm. Um I My main console was always the SNES. Like, I grew up playing the SNES. Um, and through sort of Barras related means, I played a lot of imported games. Um, the Ganbare that Goemon. That
0: one for um, non Scottish listeners was the famous Glasgow Barrowlands Market. All right. Where uh,
1: legal things happen on every corner. Exactly. <laughs> um, I played a lot of the, the Ganbare Goemon series on the SNES. They were great sort of 2D side scrolling platform RPGs. Um, with a sort of great Japanese sense of humor, great music, again, made by Konami. Mm-hmm. Uh, just spectacular games, mech battles, everything. Um, so when the N64 one came out, Legend of Mystical Ninja, um, I honestly, I rented it. This was one of these games that I rented first to try and was just in love with it. It's the game I've played the most. It, um, for people that don't know, it's a sort of 3D kind of platformer like Super Mario 64, that sort of vibe. But with sort of RPG elements, um, you know, it has dungeons and the dungeons you call it it's a bit of a it's a bit of a Zelda type. Mm-hmm. It sort of crosses somewhere between Super Mario sixty four and Ocarina of Time, given that you know you're doing dungeony things in an RPG sense but you can jump, which Zelda, nah, Zelda players didn't like to jump apparently. Nah, so.
0: you can jump for me. I'm no exactly. I'm no pressing jump. Much more of an anime aesthetic about Goemon as well. Yeah,
1: it's very, very anime based. I mean, the characters are all sort of like the main characters; they're all ninjas basically. You control. You have four characters throughout the game. You have Goymon, Ebisamaru, Sasuke, and Yai. I think the last he was called, but you know, so you got these four characters. They all have different weapons. They all have different sort of magical powers, and it was just it's great. It's such a satisfying game. Um, it's a game that suffers hugely from things being lost in translation. It has a laughter track. One of my favorite <laughs> things about it is the game has a laughter track That's throughout. That's amazing. And a lot of the text is like written in bold. Is to right. emphasise that it's funny, but it's just <laughs> things that aren't really funny, and because it makes no sense, and because as a laughter track, it turns out it's hilarious. It's one of the funniest games I've ever played.
0: As I say, this has just made me wish that there was like a licensed Seinfeld platformer. Exactly. That that would have been a game and a half. Mm. Just like controlling Kramer sliding like Bubsy the Bobcat.
1: Oh, uh, don't mention Bubsy. That's, no, that's no, much. that's a sore one. Yeah, that will not be featuring on this podcast. No, it really won't. Um, so. The main the main thing for it, like, I love Japan. Anyone that grew up playing video games probably loves Japan. Mm. And it has a traditional sort of Japanese... Aesthetic? Aesthetic. <laughs> as a traditional Japanese aesthetic. Um, it's sort of... All the environments are traditionally Japanese. You know, one of the dungeons is a giant bathhouse, that oh, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but it has this kind of underlying humor... Um, and it's just the music the thing for me is like music and games is a huge thing for me that's, that's what I do, Like I write music for video games and honestly oh, the music in that game is perfect it's a great mix of like traditional Japanese sounds with like this total awesome Konami classic video game dynamic and it's just great, and it fits so well with the dungeons. And so that was the thing for me. That and that was the first time I really realized, I was like, wow, video game music can be something that you actually just listen to. You don't need to be playing the game. Sure. Like, I'd sit in the sound test with that game for hours and just listen to it. Oh, it's so good. If you ever get a chance to play it, I would. Like.
0: Just, just for having a laugh track, this is clearly one of the most innovative games
1: of all time. And also it has hugely overemphasized anime-style mech battles. Where you control a giant robot called Impact, who has a theme song that he sings himself.
0: I definitely want to get hold of this. Like N64, the more and more I think about it, N64 is my favourite console just in terms of the games that I had on it. That one I've never come across, but it does sound incredible.
1: I will let you hear the theme tune after we've recorded this, and
0: let's let everyone hear the theme tune, Barry. We have the technology. that was quite something yes it was <laughs> okay um the second game i wanted to pick in terms of what defines me a gamer is uh day of the tentacle mm. now it's it's a bit of a cliche for sort of nerdy guys to sort of like say how much they adore tim schaefer um because he makes genuinely funny games and like even in this day and age uh the rarity of a game with a genuinely great script a great genuinely great acted script like something that you could just enjoy the the script of it without having the game mechanics uh imagine the way you were talking about like like a game that made you realize that uh game music was yeah. like something that that could be valid outside of the the game itself uh day of the tentacle really sort of uh emphasized that you could do lots of great scripting and storytelling with with video games. Uh-huh. And it's definitely been a problem in latter days that um, Tim Schafer Games, the gameplay hasn't quite matched the quality of the scripts. He's, he's, not, he's not found a way to... He's not found a, a home uh, quite as comfortable for his aesthetic as Point and Click Adventures was. But this Day of the Tentacle was in the heyday and it is the, the crowning achievement of the genre as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the puzzles are, you know, they're, they're still ridiculous, but they at least make logical cartoon sense. There's a great um, sort of Warner Brothers Chuck Jones uh, aesthetic to the art style, and that translates into the humor and the way the game progresses. And uh, yeah, um, again, it's something that has such a stylized art style that the technical limitations of the game it still looks beautiful oh, today. It looks great, and. Uh, because you know it's all jokes, because it's all uh, humour and storytelling. Like playing through it is still a wonderful experience.
1: Finishes um, off Barry. Yes. Um, for me, video games have always been in my life, but there was a period where I stopped playing video games around the time I went to uni. Funnily enough, it's like time to do some actual work. Um, and for a while, I just completely had kind of stopped. I played the occasional DS game here and there, but really, nothing had grabbed me. Until I played Xenoblade Chronicles on the Wii, um, that game. Oh, I love JRPGs. Obviously, we've
0: established that, and
1: I like to think I've got pretty good taste in JRPGs too. I've played enough to know what's good and what isn't. And Xenoblade was one that I'd seen, and I was like, "Yeah, it looks okay. It's for the Wii. It's probably going to be all right." Because the thing about the Wii is that it has a handful of genre, like genre and generation defining games. Like, a lot of the best games of the generation and a lot of the best games in their genre are on the Wii. And luckily, Xenoblade Chronicles, for me, comes out to be probably the best JRPG of all time, which a lot of people will probably see as a contentious statement. But honestly, at a time where I wasn't into video games as much as I was, I was presented with this... This... Vision. Unfathomably huge JRPG, the scope of it. For anyone that wants a bit of background... It's set in this world where there are these two massive sort of titans that were once locked in an endless battle and then just kinda ceased to be anymore. There's the Bionis and the Mechonis and like people live on these like humans live on these giant sort of dead titans. Wow. And the game takes you from the bottom of the the Bionis, you know, you you go up it, you go to different parts of it, you know. You start off in like the shin and then you go to like the leg and then you go to the back and eventually you're at the head and Oh, it's great. Everything about it. For anyone that's not played, you know, if you've not played any of the monolith, monolith soft games before, Xenogear, Xenosaga, I mean that's the studio that know what they're doing. Like in mm-hmm. Xenoblade is their finest work. It pushes the Wii to its limitations and every graphically it is the best looking game on the Wii. The environments are so well rendered and the draw distance is huge, it just makes it like stupidly immersive. Oh, honestly. Great, the music, the visuals, everything. So that for me, it reminded me that you know, video. As far as I'm concerned, video game immersion is it. There's a, there's times when you've been playing a game for like ten hours in one day that you just forget that the rest of life exists. Mm-hmm. And that's a game that I went through some truly emotional processes while playing.
0: Particularly, particularly
1: JRPGs. And Aye.
0: So, so in your your opinion, this is just like. Something that just perfected something that you loved
1: anyway it clicked with me so much. It t- ticks so many boxes. It has a sort of traditional RPG setting, but then it bleeds over into like a really futuristic kind of mecha setting. And it has like a twisting storyline, and it has great voice acting, and the characters are great, and the enemies are great. And sounds great. It is. If you have a Wii, you owe it to yourself to play that game to the end.
0: With how long does it take to get
1: to the end? But I was about 80 hours to the end, to be honest. 80 hours. You see, you could take it out further than that as well.
0: Yeah, I bulk at that. But you know, if a game gets you, then like, you know, back in the days when I. One of the worst things Pokemon ever did was containing a counter. Whenever you turned it on, you could see exactly how long you've been playing it. Exactly. And, uh, so, yeah, it's not like I've never done it in the past. So, uh, yeah, maybe I'm about to fall down this hole and understand you a little bit better. I was in
1: danger of becoming a casual gamer until Xenoblade came along and then threw me firmly back into the, the hardcore.
0: Okay, so I think that about wraps it up for the first episode of One More Go. We hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did looking into Barry's lovely cherubic face.
1: So cherubic. For the last uh, like couple a of hours. Cherubwa beard.
0: Did you? No, cherubs don't have beards, don't they? They're babies. Aye. You're a bearded baby. Aye? The bearded baby. That's, That's That is now your wrestling name. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find me
1: on Twitter at Nicole Hay, N I C O L H A Y. And you can find me at No Stopping Epoch which I will not spell because it's quite long, but it'll be on the website with all the relevant information.
0: But yeah, like you can find our Twitter handles, and our bios have got links to all our
1: other work, like yeah, Barry's music. W- we're and social media butterflies. You know. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Bebo. I think we're probably on some dating websites as well. So.
0: <laughs> so, so we Between the two of us, we must have so many MySpaces with pictures of us playing music on. We,
1: we really do. We really do.
0: In fact, we might I would I would say between us we represent a good like three percent of my space just between us. I'd say so. So we'll be back in the near future, possibly in about a month's time, talking about more games that we used to love and still do love, and we hope
1: that you'll love too. And we hope that you'll come back and join us.
0: Say goodbye, Barry.
1: Goodbye, and please feel free to get in touch. We want to talk to you. We want to talk to people about video video games.
0: Video games Video
1: Games
0: And if you do want to get in touch with us directly about this podcast, you can do so by emailing us on one more podcast at gmail.com and you can also find our Tumblr page which is acting like our homepage for the podcast at onemoregopodcast.tumblr.com and there you'll find all the episodes and we will also be reblogging wee gifts and video gamey stuff
1: for all your video gamey needs. Thank you. We here at One More Goal love to keep our own legacy in check, so just a couple of notes about what you just listened to. The first being that you think I would remember the name of my favourite game ever, but the N64 offering of the Mystical Ninja series was actually called Mystical Ninja Starring Goemon, which I can be forgiven for given how many Mystical Ninja games there are and how they all had slightly different titles in the various localised regions. And another thing. That door in Super Mario Land 2, it does say Mario Land 2 on it. So, Nickel, bite me.